So if you haven't been with us, we are somewhere around halfway, maybe a little beyond halfway through an entire series on the book of James. So we're going to be in James chapter 3 today, five verses. When we did this on Wednesday night, I spent 45, 50 minutes on five verses. Before you panic, I'm not doing that this morning. Um, I didn't know it was possible, but I did. It was great. Uh, But they're important verses because they're about wisdom. And so I want to talk about wisdom. Anybody need some wisdom? Ever? Lately? This morning? This afternoon? Need wisdom? Of course. Verse 13 of chapter 3, James launches in with a question and says, Who among you is wise? Now, if we all look around the room and go, okay, they're wise, they're not, you know, that could be interesting. Who among you is wise? Which kind of begs that question, right? How do you know if someone is wise? If you're here with somebody else and you think they're the wise one or they think you're the wise one, you can nudge them and figure that out. Who among you is wise? How do you know if they're wise? How do you know if your significant other is wise? (laughs) Maybe they're not. I don't know. We're going to determine that. But here's the thing. We worry about not appearing, appearing foolish. We worry about we being wise. We can, we're concerned with wisdom, having, making the right choices, the right career choice, the right choice of a significant other, the right path. We want wisdom in our life application so that we don't look foolish. But I have an observation for you. I think what we worry about and what we are focused on is more, what we are focused on more is actually not appearing foolish versus trying to be wise. Our most terrifying, I mean, eighth grade cafeteria with a tray full of food, what's the one thing you do not want to have happen? You do not want to trip and and face plant in your lunch in front of the entire cafeteria. And I think from eighth grade on, we kind of walk around with that demon hanging out there like, I just don't want to look stupid. I don't want to make the wrong call. I don't want to pay too much for a house. I don't want to be my friends to think I'm crazy. Like, why am I doing this? And we're primarily focused on not looking foolish versus pursuit of actual wisdom. Think about that. What's the difference? Trying to avoid foolishness or looking foolish versus pursuit of being wise. They're really two different things. For a couple of reasons. Number one, we're worried about what everybody else thinks about us. So which wisdom or which appearance of foolishness are we really trying to pursue? You see, this sermon is really about two different kinds of wisdom. And the foolishness of the wisdom of God, the wisdom of man looks foolish to God. Get that right. The wisdom of us, the wisdom of people, the wisdom of the world looks like foolishness to God because God, we kind of would all admit, I think this morning, is way wiser than we are. Fair enough? 1 Corinthians 1, 18-20 says this, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? (laughs) Paul is always so gentle with his words, right? 
the, word, the cross looks foolish to those who don't believe. For those of us who do believe, it's power. Now, I don't know about you. We don't always think about Christian faith or being a Christian as something that's powerful. We just kind of like hold on and try to, to make it work, right? And when we talk about the appearance of foolishness to others, how many of you have ever, when somebody brought up Christianity, kind of like ducked and covered because you didn't want to get into that conversation? Why? Because you might appear foolish to them because you believe in, as they would put it, if they don't believe a fairy tale. I mean, it's the Christmas debate every year, right? Christmas season is coming. What's the real purpose behind it? Christians have their little thing that they do. And we look, we look foolish to the world. And the Scriptures promise us that's the case. That the message of Jesus, the gospel, will look foolish to the rest of the world. Why is that so? Why would being a Christian look foolish to the world? What are Christians like? Sacrificial? Giving? Humble? The Bible tells us to love your enemies. That appears foolish to your enemies, Right? To be gracious, to turn the other cheek, famous passages, right? Makes Christians sound like doormats if you're uh, to the world anyway. And so if we say if we're really a Christian, if we're really bold about our faith, in fact, sometimes we don't share our faith out of what? The same fear of what they're going to say about us. And so we're still focused on not looking foolish versus pursuing and sharing and, being li and living in the power that comes from the wisdom of God. So, let's read James 3. Because he asks the question in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? And then by the, you'll see by the time we get to the end of the passage, he actually answers his own question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and self-ambition, there will be also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. James could write. His brother's Jesus. He probably hung out and got some stuff from him, which is a good idea. I highly recommend you read everything Jesus wrote. You know what I mean? So he says, just who among you is, who among you is wise? And remember, he's talking to a church body, right? He's talking to the different churches that he's sending his letter to. Who among your congregations are wise? Then he says something very interesting in verse 2. He says, your genuine wisdom is demonstrated in the way that you live and act. So how do you know if somebody's wise? By their actions. If you follow James at all, if you followed our series at all, you've read our series at all, what does James say about faith and genuine faith? He says, you say that you have faith in chapter 2, but I will show you my faith by my works. We talked about that here one time. It's like, Paul says you're saved by faith. James says you're saved by works. Which is it? Because it seems to contradict. And then we drew out the fact that it's not really a contradiction. 
He, James would say that if you have genuine faith, you will live in a way that's genuine of that faith. And he's saying the same thing about wisdom. In fact, you could argue that genuine wisdom comes from having genuine faith in the first place. Because if you don't have faith in God, you don't have access to God's wisdom. But if you genuinely have faith, and you see, and by the way, chapter one, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. I love, that's why I've told you all this before. One of the things I love about James, it's all interconnected, right? He goes, if anyone seeks wisdom, ask God and he'll freely give it to you. And so we get to chapter three and he's like, okay, now that God has given you wisdom, live like he's been giving you wisdom. It's all connected. If I believe, I will seek God's wisdom, not the foolishness of this world. And if I find God's wisdom, which he is freely giving to me, I will live in the wisdom he's given me, not in the wisdom of the world, which God has destroyed and considered foolish. Are you with me? See how interconnected this is? If I follow Jesus, if I call myself a Christian, I will demonstrate that faith in the way I live and treat others. I don't earn my salvation that way. I don't get more credit with God because I'm charitable. God's like, eh, last month your Christian score was like a B plus. That's not how it works. You don't do more to get God to love you more. You do what God wants you to do because we love God. Not to gain His love. It's out of love that we do the stuff that God's calling us to do. And He doubles down and He says, you want wisdom? It comes from the fact that you belong to the one who is the true source of wisdom. Ask him and he'll freely give it to you. But then demonstrate that you have it <laughs> by living in a way that's wise according to God's standard, not the world's. Now, I said this is a pastoral letter, right? So James has to be responding on some level to a group of Christians who look just like the rest of the world. People within the church who are motivated by selfish ambition and conceit and trying to get more toys and win more stuff. And he says, that's the wisdom of the world and it's foolishness to God. The bank balance score sheet will appear empty to you at the end of the day. Which harkens back to Matthew, right? Don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Oh, that was backwards. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can steal and destroy. Instead, store up treasures for yourself in heaven where they can't be stolen or taken from you. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Not saying wealth is bad, but if your focus is not looking foolish to the rest of the world and your focus is accumulating more stuff, it'll fail you. It's foolishness to God. But the wisdom of God comes from above. Verse 14, grasping for the things of this world, selfish advancement at the expense of others. How often do you hear about the 1% that's taken from everybody else? Get yours at the expense of others. Who cares? That's the wisdom of the world. Push others down to elevate yourself. You're number one. Not everybody else. 
Take care of your own self. And James goes, no, 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 no. A Christian won't boast like that. Genuine wisdom comes from genuine faith. And in verse 15 through 17, he lines out the two kinds of wisdom explicitly. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and self-ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without a trace of partiality, partiality and hypocrisy. Okay, so the wisdom of the world is selfish ambition and conceit. And he calls that earthly, unspiritual, and devilish, the wisdom of the world. Genuine wisdom comes from God. God said, 1 Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment, breadth of understanding, as vast as the sand on the seashore. Where did Solomon's wisdom come from? God. 1 Kings 10.24, the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Solomon didn't go, hey, I'm going to be really wise for God. God said, I'm going to make you wise. In fact, if you read that whole story of Solomon, God grants Solomon any wish, anything his heart desire, and Solomon wisely says, I want wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for kingdom. He didn't ask for power. He asked for wisdom. And God goes, that's such a right answer. I'm giving you all the other stuff too. <laughs> Which is pretty cool when you get the one wish. And it, you know, it's like the person who always asks for more wishes and you say one wish. You know what I mean? I mean, if you only have one thing, what would you wish for? More wishes. There's always that person in the crowd. God did that with Solomon. But here's, here's a fun little side trail. All truth belongs to God, too. All wisdom belongs to God, too. It's really interesting. If you go back and you do any kind of research, ironically, on the history of science, the first modern scientists were preachers. Seriously, look it up. Guys like, I, I, I didn't look the names up ahead of time, but guys like Copernicus were preachers. Why would, they be, why would preachers be really good scientists? Because they made one basic assumption. If God created the world, then there was an ordered world to be discovered. If we're not here by chance, if we're not here by random thought or collision of atoms, then there must be an order to the universe that we have the mind to go discover. And so they set, apart, set about trying to discover the order to the universe. And guess what they found? an order to the universe. A planet that's just the right distance, at just the right speed, at just the right tilt to support human life. Not random, pure math, purely the right way it's supposed to work. And I could go on and on and on. But their basic assumption was that God must have ordered the universe so there must be a truth to discover. Isn't it ironic that it's science now that tries to disprove the existence of God? when the foundation of modern science is the belief that God created it to be discovered. All truth is God's. God's wisdom is different. It's for a different purpose. We're not just talking about intellectual knowledge, you know, things you get your degree for, 
We're talking about the ability to discern and to make the right decisions in the face of everything. And we often seek God's wisdom. What do we seek God's wisdom for most of the time? An earthly goal. Right career choice. So maybe other. The right stock tip. <laughs> we often seek God's wisdom for what? For earthly stuff. But what is James trying to say his wisdom is for? To make us humble, not bragging. To make us peaceable. To make us not disruptive. Remember, this is a pastoral letter. He says in here, the things of this earth, if everybody in church is pursuing them, it creates division and disruption and competition. The guy on the pew next to you doesn't make as much as you do. You feel better about yourself because we're human that way. By the way, side note too, ever go to a pastor's conference and the pastors will be like, my congregation is this big. I mean, that's the first question. You know, in your college, it's like, what's your major, right? You go to a pastor's conference, how big is your church? Like Jesus is going to go, yeah, you're not that great a pastor. You only have like 35 people, right? What we, what we do is like, we got to play the comparison game. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we added three new campuses last year. We're a super awesome church. If we were living in wisdom, we wouldn't care about that. Not that we wouldn't want to pursue it and reach more people, but if our ego and our purpose is built on that, it's not going to last. It's not going to hold up. God's going to go, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of people there. But what about your personal life? What about your marriage? What about this? What about that? What about your faith in me to start with, buddy? So God's wisdom has a different purpose, and that wisdom applied in our life is to help us to become more and more like Jesus in the way that we live. Who among you has wisdom? Demonstrate your wisdom in the way that you live. Who has faith? You say you have faith, but prove it in the way that you love and treat others. Demonstrate it in your actions, not in your ambition and conceit, but by being peaceable and loving. Because he calls the wisdom of this world earthly, which is worldly, unspiritual, filled with fleshly desire would be another way to say that. Then he calls it demonic, which is just another way of saying it's flat out evil. Not that having a goal or having ambition itself is a sin, but when it surplants why you are here, it becomes an idol. When the GPA or the career step or the whatever you think is the pinnacle of existence becomes more important to you than the person sitting next to you in the pew or the person at home, your, your spouse at home, or whoever it is you, God has called you to witness to and love on mission then it's an idol, and it's taken the place of God in your life. He says, in, he, you know, he says that even in, in chapter 2, verse 19 of James, he says even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. So faith is not simply a creedal belief. Being a Christian is not getting all of your theology straight, then you're a good Christian. Even the demons know for sure God's real. They know Jesus was the Son of God. They know all the little Christian facts, and they shudder. So it's more than knowledge. It's more than, I, I know how to live. I'm a good person. It's more than that. In fact, look at verse 17 again. Verse 17. 
Verse 17. I told you I did 45 minutes on five verses, right? Uh, no, 16. Wait, is that even three? Oh, here we go. <laughs> I wasn't even looking in the right section. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without a trace of partiality and hypocrisy. It's not so much that wisdom is these things as he is describing a wise person. It's not so much that wisdom is peaceable. It is a person who lives in God's wisdom is peaceable, not disruptive, not concerned with the things of this world, not pursuing fleshly desire, not pursuing evil and demonic desire. Full of their people who are wise are people who are full of mercy and good fruit. If somebody is wise, they're merciful because they know they don't have it all figured out either. If somebody is wise, they're not creating disruption and division. In fact, they're, in fact, they're pursuing peace in their relationships with one another. And if they're really wise, they realize that they should be humble, not like, oh, look how wise I am. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. Because the greater the area of your knowledge, the greater the circumference of your ignorance. Said another way, the more you know, the more realize you don't know. Geometry majors are like, okay. The more you the more the bigger that circle is, the bigger the circle is. Which connects, you know, see what I mean? The more you know, the more you realize, I don't have this all figured out. Pastors out of seminary think they know the Bible backwards and forwards and can interpret it better than anybody else. Two years in the pulpit, they're like, I don't know, I just love Jesus. How are y'all doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like two years in the ministry, you're like, I don't know. What do you think would be the most loving thing here? Right out of seminary, they're like, well, the ontological distinction of being says, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, I can see this because I am one. We're just fellow Christians too trying to figure this out. We're not perfect. Have we studied it more? Of course. But is there passages I read and I go, huh? Of course. <laughs> and when I figure out something like, when the Bible says something like, God is love, okay, all that does is pr produce more questions. Well, if God's love... Does God love everybody? Is when there's love, is God there? Uh, I mean, like, just because I have a piece of truth cornered doesn't mean I have truth cornered. Hey, Paul says, I'm saved by faith, not by works. James says, hey, you say you have faith, show me your works. Come on, guys. Give it to us a little more straightforward. <laughs> right? I don't have it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. But when Scripture tells us, ask God for the wisdom and He'll give it to you like every good gift that comes from the Father, I can trust that. I can trust that that's true. I can trust, <coughs> excuse me, that God will give that to me. So we ask in verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? A person who is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, bearing fruit, impartial and sincere. Look around. That's the wise people. Know any? Are you one? <laughs> Open-minded, peaceable, sincere, filled with good fruit. That would be actions, right? 
good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Is that you? Or is your life consistent with the belief that you claim to have? And this is what James does. He always, when he starts a passage, he'll either give like a rhetorical question or like a statement, and then he'll explain it, and then he lands the section with a proverb. And so verse 18 is the proverb of this section. And it, let me read 17 to get context. The wisdom above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Sounds like something out of Proverbs, doesn't it? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Someone who is peaceable and wise won't be disruptive and divisive, especially within a group of people. And so it's not that the righteousness comes from the action, but a harvest of fruit and righteousness comes from making peace. But it's not just individual. It's the body of Christ. Remember, he's writing to a church. So a group of people who are gathered who seek the peace of God in the community will reap a harvest of fruit and righteousness. Not just individual. It's true of us individually, but it's true of us as a group. And just to kind of give you an idea of what I mean and why he would drop this where he drops it, verse chapter 4, the very next verse, he turns and addresses quarrels and fights within the body of Christ. So he's just setting up the crowd, reading this letter, going, people who are wise will be peaceable. And then he addresses quarrels next week, next Sunday. You shouldn't be fighting and striving for worldly possession rather than godly wisdom. You should be seeking peace and righteousness as a body. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to pursue your wisdom and not the wisdom of this world. Help us to be more concerned about looking foolish in front of you than our neighbor. Help us to live in a way that you have called us to live, to demonstrate that we have wisdom from you because of our faith in you. So that through our actions, through our love of neighbor and enemy and friend, the whole world may know that you who are who you say you are. Remind us that when we fail in that, you are gracious and merciful to us too. In Christ's name, amen.